We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, 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 and welcome to the Rotobiz College Football Show. Before we get started today, I want to ask you to do us a favor and go ahead and hit that subscribe button. While you're there, rate the show, give us five stars because we deserve it. We put in the hard work, and while our picks might always be spot on, everything else is lovely. Go ahead and write a review as well. Let us know what you like and what you would like to see us do more of in the future. All right, let's get on with the show. Joining me today, Matt and Jordan. Fellas, how y'all doing today? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Doing good. You guys have a nice weekend? Yeah. Made a nice pan of uh, spinach lasagna on Saturday night, which maybe interrupted my football watching a bit, but it was absolutely worth it. That sounds lovely. And I went down to uh, Oktoberfest in downtown Cincinnati and uh, stood in the rain while trying to catch glimpses of a little bit of football here and there. That sounds less lovely. I don't like getting wet. I had an interesting weekend. I... uh... My my kids have been begging me for a puppy for years now, ever since our old dog died, tragically, and I just have been holding off as long as possible. But Saturday, we went out and got a new puppy. So we have a new bundle of joy in the house, and uh, I needed that. I needed that for uh, for reasons that are obvious. The Oregon Ducks broke my heart. It reminded me a little bit of when 
I was 19 years old, and there was this girl that I was just, like, smitten for. She was just everything that women should be. And I had no shot. I thought I had no shot with her. But then all of a sudden, like, she started flirting with me and hanging out with me. And I was like, wait a second. I might actually have a shot here. So one night, I mustered up all the courage in the world. And I said, hey, I'll leave her name out of this for now just because it just makes it too real and the pain will sink in again. I was like, hey, <laughs> I, was, I was wondering if, like, you know, we wanted to make this thing official. If you want to go on a date with me, blah, 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 whatever 19-year-old boys do. And she was like, actually, I was kind of interested in you. Uh, but then I got to know you, so no. <laughs> and Ooh. I was I was devastated. Um, so yeah, that was a lot, a, a very similar feeling to what I felt watching Oregon. I was like, went into it thinking, we've got no shot. I don't think we've got the pieces. And then they're playing with my heart. We're get, uh, big. I feel all the confidence in the world. And then my heart is broken. It was it was difficult, and I needed all the puppy snuggles I could get uh, just to make it through the night. I guess this is a lesson in uh, tempered expectations, then. Oh, but, my, but my expectations were so low. <laughs> <laughs> it was oh that damn that damn Justin Herbert playing with my heart. <laughs> oh. What about you guys? Do you guys have any brutal losses you can remember? So I'll go ahead and jump in with uh, one that'll feel kind of relevant today and uh, talk about 2016 when uh, Penn State played Ohio State. And it wasn't necessarily that I felt like Ohio State was just – it wasn't quite as heartbreaking in the fashion of the game as Oregon where it just felt like the game was over. But it was the fact that I had just married into a Penn State family. I had <laughs> been getting – trash talk all week about Penn State and then in the first half they came out looking or looking fine Ohio State had a lead at half uh added to that lead in the third quarter and I was feeling pretty confident and then Penn State decided to uh fourth quarter us and destroy us in the fourth quarter and what hurt the most was the fact that I couldn't even get like this feeling that we were outplayed because we weren't really because the game ended on a blocked field goal return for a touchdown, which my brother-in-law insists, no, 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 this isn't fluky. They were trying to do that. And I'm in my head said <laughs> every single team who blocks a field goal wants to return it for a touchdown. You didn't do anything special. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts. Well, I'll, uh, I'll keep the uh, Penn State theme going, but when when you asked me about this question earlier today, the first thing that comes to my head anytime heartbreaking losses come up is 2005 uh, when Penn State went to Michigan. They were well. First of all, I should start off with I was a freshman in college at University Park at Maine, and you know, 18 years old. I was dumb really wrapped up in football, trying to get my bearings at college, you know, for the first couple weeks. Penn State was 6-0 and heading into that game. They were coming off of two big home wins against top 20 teams, Minnesota and then Matt's Ohio State Buckeyes. And the infamous two seconds added onto the clock happens in the fourth quarter. Basically, Lloyd Carr used to be Wolverine's head coach, talked the officials into adding two seconds onto the clock from 28 seconds to 30 seconds. Things play out. Chad Henney, the bane of my existence, hits Mario Manningham in the end zone, wins the game. No time left on the clock. And it's just one of those it's just one of those things that kind of sticks with you. Ultimately, it's a football game. It's pretty much meaningless for us who aren't playing, but it's just one of those things that's just burned into the back of my head. You know, <laughs> it is brutal. I do wonder if it's 
worse for fans than it is for players, though. I feel like a lot of times players like, oh, man, that was a crazy game. Oh, well, I've got another one coming up next week. And we like, I know myself, I, I tend to get far more, especially in the past, get far more emotional about it than a lot of players seem to. I get pretty depressed when my teams lose. Uh, and I don't get all that happy when they win because I'm just waiting for them to lose next week. But <laughs> it's it's a sickness. I'd say that's being an Oregon fan, though. Yeah. I, I'm pretty happy with wins, and I don't really expect losses. <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a nice place to be in. Well, we um we had a pretty pretty bad week last week as far as picks go. I I debated just skipping over the section where we uh, dissect what took place. An effort to remain, you know, transparent and keep our loyal listeners happy. We will eat a slice of humble pie and talk about how we uh, collectively went, you know, two for twelve, I th- two and twelve, I think, which is 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 not good. Um, but let's. I think some of them are are kind of difficult. I mean, Vegas put some of these lines in pretty nice spots. I mean, the Georgia Missouri game was like a fourteen and a half difference, and a game ends fourteen points. So. It was super close. I feel like it was, you know, kind of mean on their end. Um, but let's talk about that Georgia Missouri game. Jordan, what do you what do you think? What 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 took place? Uh, and and did anything surprise you in this game? Well, to be quite honest, I mean, I think Georgia, while they're they're clearly the more talented team, I, I think that they were kind of lucky to win this game. Uh, a couple bounces go a different way. You know, the block uh, block kicks on special teams. Just a lot of weird stuff happened and. You know, again, I think that I think that especially that interception that Drew Locke threw, where the ball bounced off. I think it was Jonathan Johnson's hands. He was running across the middle of the field, wide open, would have been a first down. Just throws throws a fastball in there, pops up, gets run back. It's just mistakes on Missouri's part, and I think that maybe I overestimated Georgia's offense a bit. There were a couple couple spots where one instance I remember in particular is they were down. They had first and goal, I believe, around the five-yard line. And on second and third down, they threw fade routes to wide receivers who I believe were were under six foot when they have DeAndre Swift, Elijah Holyfield, 315-pound offensive lineman average across the front. Just a lot of really curious play calling. And it's hard to know whether that's on the quarterback or the offensive coordinator or a little bit of both. But right, yeah. It's it. It was just difficult to watch because the talent is clearly there, and they should be executing at a much higher level, in my opinion. So even though they had the two touchdown when you weren't too impressed? Well, I mean, again, I think maybe my expectations for Georgia were perhaps they were a little bit high, but I, I think that, like I said, a couple bounces go a different way, and this game is much, much closer. Not to say that Georgia ultimately loses, but... A couple things go a different way, and this is a lot, a lot different. I think. I mean, Jordan, you and I both said that Georgia was either already a buzzsaw or we're like right on the verge of being one of those buzzsaw teams. So I think it's kind of fair for his expectations. He went into it with this thought that this was going to be South Carolina all over again, where it looks like it could be close for a minute, but ultimately Georgia would just run away with it. And it did kind of seem like if Drew Locke's receivers didn't let him down in a big way, then this game might have actually been very competitive until the end. And Emmanuel Hall was hurt as well. Um, Missouri's wide receiver, who I think is probably their best player on offense, aside from Locke. He was he was out there 
but he wasn't really running routes. He was more playing more of a decoy. He's clearly injured. And not to say one player changes the game, but he's he's a dynamic downfield threat. Yeah, I I still came, came away thinking Georgia is still one of the best three teams in the nation, though. I, I get, like, I think they they didn't play maybe their best football, but I still think, and, I, and you guys probably agree with me, that they're still, you know, top three in the nation, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that they, they uh, you know, at the very least, they belong in, I would absolutely put them in the top five for sure. And it's not really to disparage them. They they handled their business. They got a win on the road, which is never easy, especially in conference. So it's, I don't mean to slight Georgia. It's just, I feel like their ceiling especially on offense is much higher than they're than they're operating at right now which is scary to think about yeah I think the the one aspect of this game that surprised me the most was uh, Missouri's ability to run the football um, I thought they had a nice nice day on the ground and I didn't necessarily uh, expect that to take place so all of us picked Georgia and so all three of us were wrong on that one uh, Matt you got Texas A&M Bama correct the final score was 23 45. Um, and at the time that we picked, um, it was Bama minus 27. So how do you feel, Matt, going into this? Did, did, did you think that Bama wasn't as good as you expected or was A&M a little bit better? Or was it just one of those things where if Bama really wanted to, they could have put more up? Well, the irony of it all is that last week when I was discussing this pick, I said on four different occasions that Texas A&M hung close with Georgia, which as <laughs> – we all may know. I was really talking about Clemson, yeah. um, and I'm just dumb and had one of those moments. And none of us corrected but, you because we, we were like, yeah, absolutely, you're right. But it was kind of funny look at, listening back on that thinking, I made all this analysis based on, well, they hung close with Georgia, so they're going to hang close with Alabama. And I, it was bad, but at the same time, A&M went out, it continues to do – kind of what I think they are, which is they, they're they a good team. I, th- I actually still really like uh, Travion Williams. He had a couple of nice runs. I do think Alabama probably could have put more on them. They didn't score anything in the fourth quarter, which to me just says they took their foot off the gas. They had the game in hand, and why risk getting an injury out there? But I will take my one win of the week, so clearly I'm a genius, even though I did everything wrong in the process. <laughs> that's what they say, right? Results over process. That's That's our motto. Jordan, what did you think about this game? Uh, I mean, I think that I think that Texas A&M is a is a pretty good team, and I know that's kind of a, a basic thing to say, but the fact that you know I don't think this game was necessarily ever in question per se, but the fact that Texas A&M has hung now with you know two of the top three teams in the country, it, I think it says a lot about them, and I think that they're moving in the right direction and. And one thing that I noticed, too, is that Alabama still seems to struggle against quarterbacks who can scramble. I know that's going back a ways, but Kellen Mond, I thought, you know, he he wasn't particularly efficient through the air. But, you know, he was forced to carry the ball 18 times, almost hit 100 yards, scored a touchdown. It's a it's a tough ask to go into Tuscaloosa, you know, for uh, a team, you know, in the first year of a new coaching staff. Um, But. And then on Bama's side, you know, I, I think it's just more of the same. We we finally got to see Tua in the second half, which is which is crazy that it took this long. Um, but you know, he completed seventy three percent of his throws, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and just continues to make it look pretty easy. I would love to avoid talking about this next game, 
I was so confident that TCU was going to not only win, but just absolutely demolish Texas. And they ended up losing 16-31. I think the score is a little misleading in this game. But those turnovers for TCU just were were way too much. I don't think any any team really could have overcome that. But yeah, too many mistakes on offense. And it really left the door open for Texas. Jordan, you want to tell us what you thought about this game? I think you hit the I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it was just the turnovers were the biggest the biggest factor. I think TCU have a tendency so far this season to to kind of hang with teams that might be might be more more talented, definitely more physical than them. But then at some point they seem to just hit a wall and kind of break. And you know, as as well as I think we all thought Sean Robinson played last week against Ohio State. You know, he he just was not very good and and he needed to be better i think and and sam ellinger played really well i mean i i wasn't entirely sold on him or this offense in general you know early on but it looks like he's kind of rounding into form it's i just keep coming back to the turnovers you know because the yardage was pretty equal um neither team was penalized that much you know it was it was kind of an even game when you just look at the box the uh, box score until you get down to the turnovers and it's cliche but you know turnovers really do kill you especially when you're in a game with a team that's so evenly matched and and perhaps a little bit more skilled. Yeah, and I thought Texas did a great job of taking advantage of those turnovers. They 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 seemed to to take those turnovers and and turn them into points. Um, Matt, what did you think? I mean, I was sort of impressed with like he said uh, Sam Ellinger's kind of first really big game of the year and I say really big he still only passed for 255 but it was nice to see like Colin Johnson I felt like this was his best game of the year so far and he stepped up in a big way for them averaging 17 yards a carry or not per carry 17 yards per catch um put up over 120 yards I felt like that type of thing will go a long way for them he need Ellinger really does need his wide receivers to be consistent for him because there is talent out there in that receiving core with uh, Johnson, Lil Jordan Humphrey, which is one of my all-time names, and uh, Devin Duvernay. I, like, there's a lot of talent out there, and I would like to see them continue to play the way they did this game for me to believe that uh, Texas is back, which I uh, still don't believe. That was my going to be my question to conclude this little game analysis but yeah no no no, that's great because because i i'm again i said last week like usc texas i don't think i learned anything i still don't know what i've learned about texas i don't feel like i can trust them but then i think it speaks to the big 12 as well like i find myself with a lot of questions about a lot of these teams a lot of the teams that i thought looked really good ended up losing and teams that i was just kind of meh on had nice wins so big 12 is just complete complete question mark to me right now all right, now the one game of the week that I picked correctly, uh, Stanford over Oregon. And we talked about my heartbreak already, so I won't talk about the emotional aspect of this game. But this is one of those games where, yes, Stanford won, but I do not think they were the better. I think you, both of y'all's analysis last week was spot on. I think the crowd played a factor. I think Herbert was just unbelievable, and Oregon should have won that game they did everything in their power that they could to lose this that game two huge mistakes by their running backs ended up costing them i mean and then also the center i mean it's 24 7 did you see the play where the the running backs running down the sideline and instead of just putting his foot into the end zone he touches the pylon they call it out of bounds at the two inch line 
And then 20 seconds later, the center snaps the ball over Herbert's head, and it's a scoop and score. Three and out. They score again, and all of a sudden it's a game. And then with 51 seconds left, second and 10, up three points, you got a running back trying to fight for extra yards, and he coughs it up, and I knew it was going to happen. I knew they were going to come back, tie the game, and it was going to be over. And it it was ridiculous. I, I come away thinking a, a few things. When it comes to Oregon, Herbert's unbelievable. And Dylan Mitchell is an incredible, incredible wide receiver. I don't know if he'll be able to, you know, really make it to the next level. But in this system with Oregon, he is going to just be a beast. And Herbert has eyes for him for sure. And the running game, I thought Verdell looked good um, for most of the game. And yeah, I thought, I thought they were fine. Uh, one of the takeaways for me for Stanford was they need to stop relying so much on Bryce Love. Their receivers and tight ends create such mismatches that they're able to completely take over games just by throwing up those jump balls and then putting in those seam routes. And then if safeties end up cheating back, then sure, use Bryce Love then. But they were most effective and most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were most scary when they were actually hitting the attack button with the receivers and tight ends as opposed to trying to push Bryce Love around. Uh, so so that was my, those were kind of my takeaways. I, uh, I thought Costello showed some, some real poise down the end of the game. Like, they didn't give up. He kept throwing the ball. He kept finding his receivers. And, yeah, when it was all said and done, I was devastated, defeated, and, like I said, I needed, I needed to be comforted and consoled. And even still, I can't think about this game without getting just a little bit upset but our Sega white side for Stanford is he was he was for me he was a difference maker in this game for Stanford with his two touchdowns well this was one of the games that I was trying to like catch glimpses of from uh under the rain while trying to every once in a while see glimpses so I, I can't give too much analysis but I will go based on a few things I heard someone say it was controversial for them to run the ball rather than take a knee on the what ended up being the fumble. Right. They would have That's, they would have been punting with about eight seconds left. So then Stanford would have had to score on a Hail Mary. They would have had like one play left. That's it. So yes. And I th- I think there's reason to think that, but at the same time, you run the ball there because if you get a first down, great. Plus you're you're more likely to just kill the clock. I don't understand why anyone would be like in the you have to kneel camp where running is controversial. It's just the running back made a boneheaded play and tried to fight for yards without right. thinking, That's exactly hey, if right. I get to the ground, it's probably better. My other takeaways from this game is Caden Smith is really going to turn himself into a first-round pick at the tight end position because this year's class is it's weird at tight end. There's really uh, no offense and then no one else other than maybe Caden Smith now. So I think every good game he has the rest of the year is going to be kind of spotlighted. Um, for the draft purpose, at least. And then our Sega Whiteside, or I don't know how to say his last name if I'm saying it wrong, but our Sega Whiteside is going to be one of those early day three picks uh, in the draft. And um, he's going to be really good for some team. I, I agree with you. And yeah, oh my goodness. I I have no problem with Oregon running the ball there. The reason that they came back in that game, like the reason I mean, came back, they didn't come back. They were up the whole time. 
But the reason that they were in the position that they were is because Cristobal was playing aggressive. He kept pushing he kept pushing the ball downfield when people would have thought, you know, play it safe. And so the fact that he's not playing it safe and taking a knee is just in his character, and I'm okay with it because it put them in a position to win. But don't get me started. Don't get me. I will. I will. I will just spend two hours talking about this game in my frustration. Jordan, stop me. Yeah. Well, just to kind of put a bow on it, I think some positives instead of focusing on the negatives. I think some of the positives are that Oregon stood up to Bryce Love and Stanford on the ground pretty well, and I think that's something that they can build on moving forward. Their offense is going to be fine. In this, this is a loss ultimately, but Stanford has a very difficult game against Notre Dame coming up this week, and I don't necessarily think that Stanford is, you know, the the North runaway champion here. I, I think that Oregon has a lot to take away from this game to be positive. Although, you know, the the loss is never easy to take, but I think that they did some good things and I think that they can they can build on that moving forward. Yeah, I after watching this game, I, I started getting really excited. Again, I used to live in Seattle and so it's a Washington, you know, it's a Huskies town and the big rivalry with Oregon, I'm actually excited for it this year. I think uh I think that will be a fun one. So yeah, you're right. There are some positives to take away. Not much positive to take away from our perspective from the Notre Dame Wake Forest game, which we thought was going to be really competitive and really close and maybe even uh, downright upset. Notre Dame ended up winning pretty easily, 56-27. And I, I, I really believe that the reason why we were wrong on this is because Ian Book was the starting quarterback and not Wimbush. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there are whispers about book potentially starting all throughout the all throughout the week really but I don't think we knew for sure and he played great I mean he he was efficient he was accurate he he was prolific he he did everything that Brandon Wimbush was never really seemingly able to do during his time at Notre Dame and I think that obviously Notre Dame and Alabama in my opinion are not in the same circle or sphere but I think that Notre Dame has a pretty good defense, and I think that adding the ability to throw the ball, especially downfield more, um, really helps them. And, and kind of, you know, we talked last week about Notre Dame kind of being overrated perhaps, maybe not deserving of where they were. But I think adding in the passing element that we saw, granted it's a one-game sample, you know, Ian Book could likely maybe come back down to earth, but... I think that that really does change how we need to look at teams similar to what we've seen with Alabama being able to throw the ball down the field. Yeah. Yeah, it's safe to say that I uh, got this game wrong because this was my upset just money line pick of the week. And my one that I said I would have gone heaviest on the line. So my bad. Um <laughs> The, it, it was kind of a weird game because there were moments when it looked like Wake Forest offense was going to be able to actually make a few plays and get themselves back into the game. But then kind of every time they do that, Notre Dame would get a big stop and it would just be over really fast. Um, and my hopes kept getting dashed. And so it was kind of an ugly game for me to watch because I really did feel strongly that Wake Forest was going to be able to put up points against them because of their offense and I didn't account for 
Ian Book just coming in and being amazing. It's kind of funny that Notre Dame seems to do this all the time where they just change their quarterback out and all of a sudden their new quarterback, who is their backup, turns into a world beater. So, I mean, I I think we can say that Brandon Wimbush has lost his job and it doesn't matter that he can run the ball. Yeah, well, especially Book was pretty pretty good on the ground too. Now, here's here's um, my hot takiness for you guys. Now, you know I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan, but I think there's a decent chance that Notre Dame ends up in the college football playoff, and, and here's why. They get Stanford at home, then they're at Virginia Tech, who we're going to talk about in a few minutes. They get Pitt at home, at Navy, at Northwestern, then uh, Florida State and Syracuse at home, and then at USC. How many of those games do you think they'll be favored in? My guess is all of them, except for, you know, you know, Stanford is going to be one of those interesting games. But for the most part, they'll be double-digit favorites in most of those games. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking Notre Dame could make it to the playoff? I mean, every year we talk about teams like, oh, if this team wins out, if this team wins out, they're going to make it very difficult. And you're right, Notre Dame's schedule does set up really well for them. I I'm not really willing to give them this game against Stanford this week, and we'll get to that later on. But I do think that like Syracuse will present a little bit of a challenge. Um, who knows? Maybe USC will have an offense figured out by that point, and <laughs> it might take them twelve I, games to get there. But <laughs> it, I mean, it may. He's they've got a freshman quarterback. I'm going to use that justification all year. Um, but I will say, I think it's if they go undefeated they're going to make the top four because as much as we all think that we're going to get undefeated Georgia against undefeated Alabama in the SEC championship game, and we're going to get undefeated Oklahoma just steamrolling the Big 12 and undefeated Ohio State because screw you, Jordan. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and so an undefeated Clemson, we always we do this every year and we end up with yeah. – we end up with three one-loss teams making it in and one undefeated team typically. Um, so it's one of those things where like right now, yes, I love their chance to make it because if they go undefeated, I think they're in because I think that all of these teams that we currently have ahead of them, I'd say it's about a 75% chance that three or four of them pick up a loss. Yeah, you're right. That always happens, and it is early – in the season, and a lot can change, but their schedule looks pretty nice. Um, if you're if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're you're feeling pretty happy right now. Definitely, yeah. Before we move on to um, some of the other games that we we didn't project on, uh, let me go ahead and tell you that while we may not be able to tell you which team is going to win every week and which teams are going to cover the spread, I can tell you that you should be betting with my bookie. They've been in the business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way over to MyBookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game, live betting, over-unders on fantasy points score, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Now, MyBookie is slammed right now with new bettors because they're such an awesome site. But that's why they want to give everyone the best service possible and offer you an additional $25 free if you deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern Time. On any deposit over $100. So join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar using the promo code ROTOVIZ to activate this offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code ROTOVIZ when creating your account 
to claim up to one thousand free dollars to play with. Again, if you want to get that extra twenty-five bucks, just wait till after seven p.m. Eastern and then use the code Rotoviz twenty-five. It's up to you, but I'd wait and get that extra money. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, guys, let's talk about some of these other games. Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, the one we all saw coming. Jordan, what did you think about this one? Yeah, so I did not see hardly any of this game, just the highlights, which is probably pretty typical about everybody across the country. But, um, yeah, this uh, Virginia Tech was a 28-point favorite, I believe, at kick, 27, 28 points. Some really wild stuff. I, I, I used um, sports reference earlier today to look some stuff up, and it was just the second time since 2000 that Virginia Tech had allowed 600-plus total yards. Uh, it was just the third time since Old Dominion started their program back up in 2009 that they gained 600 total yards. And for Old Dominion redshirt junior quarterback Blake LaRussa, his, his passing yardage total in this game represents 40% of his career passing total now That's granted amazing. he hasn't yeah he hasn't started a ton of games but there was just some really wild stuff about this game aside from the fact you know that old dominion beat virginia tech but you know also vt on top of this loss they they lose their starting quarterback josh jackson who uh, broke his leg needs surgery i believe he's done for the year so and i think also virginia tech might have kicked one of their defensive linemen off the team after the game it seems like things um, are a little bit rocky there right now. I don't know how they're going to bounce back from that. And I believe they, they go to Duke this week, and I think they're about a touchdown dog. So it's a very weird time right now for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I, can, I mean, I'll jump in. I, again, like Jordan, I didn't see a lot of this game. Uh, it was one I kind of was tracking on my phone because at a certain point when you see a score like that, you're just wondering how the absurd, most absurd thing possible is happening. <laughs> Just a quick reminder, Old Dominion earlier this season lost to Liberty, who was making their FBS debut. Um, I mean, the thing that my takeaway from this is we really overrated Virginia Tech based on that Florida State win when now we're seeing Florida State really is just they're going to finish near the bottom of the ACC, which is not something you would have expected at the beginning of the year. And that line against Duke, I mean, Duke's undefeated. Virginia Tech just got beat by a team that's probably – close to a division two level team i mean it's kind of worth noting that you might want to be on that duke side yeah i think you make a good point there too where you're talking about our perceptions going into the season and how that that rolls over to what we think early on so it makes me think about texas too like texas got beat by maryland so we just assumed texas was going to be terrible um but maybe that was the worst game of the season And, and similarly maybe virginia tech you know, played a really bad Florida State team, and they're not quite as good as we think. It kind of makes me wonder about Mississippi State. Uh, Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky. I don't know how many people saw this one coming. I, I sure didn't. I think we even were talking about how Mississippi State was like our one of our one of our favorite teams in, in the SEC. Jordan, what, what do you think happened in this game, or, or what do you think this means going forward? I mean, I guess it means Kentucky is good, which is crazy. I, I think that Benny Snell was good, their running back. Um, He's one of my favorite players coming into the season. I think that he is the best running back in the SEC. He's one of the best running backs in the country, and he scored four touchdowns. But, you know, I think the bigger I think the bigger story or the bigger takeaway here is that, you know, Kentucky 
is actually good. And I think we need to come to, to come to grips with that. And for someone who is, you know, my age in their early thirties, Kentucky is usually not good. Um, and quite honestly, I don't know when the last time they were really good, but I think that they're really making strides there. I think that they're a fairly balanced team. And it it also kind of makes me wonder, is Nick Fitzgerald actually bad? I know that Kylan Hill, Mississippi State's running back, you know, was was basically on fire for the first couple of games this week or for this year, excuse me, um, basically shut down in this game. But that Joe Moorhead offense, it, it for it to function properly, I think that there needs to be the ability to throw the ball downfield, take shots to open up the running game. And it looks to me from what I've seen in Mississippi state so far this year, that they don't have that element with Nick's Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback. Yeah. I can actually tell you the last time Kentucky was good. It was five years ago when I was using them in NCAA football on the Xbox. That was my dynasty team right there. I'm, there you go. I brought them to glory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a long time. <laughs> And I I, uh, I checked in with my uh, UK fan friend, one of the eleven UK uh, fans. Um, <laughs> things he thinks he wanted to, me to re re say. Uh, Benny Snell, seriously, heart emojis, like all the heart emojis. A sentence I never thought I would say. Uh, Josh Allen is very good at football, um, but the linebacker, not still not the quarterback. And the I guess my the little bit of a takeaway for this Mississippi state offense is I still think it's going to end up being a decent offense. The weather was from what I understand really terrible and turned this game into a smash mouth game, which isn't going to be where Joe Moorhead's offense is going to thrive. He you're right. He does need to open it up with the downfield passing. And I think maybe whether it was the crowd got to Nick Fitzgerald or the weather, um, or maybe just the fact that UK's defense was playing great. It's worth noting that there were maybe a couple of factors, but at the same time, the weather's only going to get worse as the year goes on. So you'd hope that um, Nick Fitzgerald gets it figured out, but I th- you might be right. Maybe Nick Fitzgerald is bad, and maybe that's why we all think this isn't a good QB class. Yeah, I I was really surprised by this game. I think what surprised me the most was that Mississippi State only managed to get 56 yards on the ground. Um, I didn't realize Kentucky's defense was you know gonna be quite this good um let's uh finish up with talking about clemson georgia tech i remember matt a couple weeks ago i was telling you how i thought throughout the whole year we were gonna see a lawrence bryant split i thought it was gonna be good for the team i thought it was gonna make it a headache for teams to prepare for them and i think i was wrong (laughs) I, i think i think trevor lawrence may have just uh taken over well, it's definitely Trevor Lawrence time. He was announced as the starter for this week. He took over in the Georgia Tech game. And I think there's one thing that we're learning this college football season from Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. And it's that a downfield passing attack really opens up your offense. Tua did it for Alabama, but when they got rid of Jalen Hurts and Haskins is doing it, by comparison to JT Barrett. And now Trevor Lawrence is going to do it in place of Kelly Bryant. And it's these these short yardage quarterbacks that had kind of, I mean, realistically, they'd kind of dominated the past decade or so of college football because of the running, the, the run option to go along with it. We're getting back to these true passing 
quarterbacks. And Trevor Lawrence is really next on this list. He's going to be special. I think it's going to be interesting. And I think Clemson saw the way they played against Alabama in the playoff last year and said that as good as Kelly Bryant is, their goal isn't to make the playoff. It's to win a title. And with Trevor Lawrence running the show, that's a, a lot more of a possibility. And Georgia Tech continues to prove to me every year that you can be a really difficult offense to stop, but if you don't pass the ball, you're not going to be a good offense. Well, they had one completion in the game. <laughs> Jordan, what did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that I'm excited that Trevor Lawrence is going to be the guy moving forward and, you know, not to not to echo again, but I, I really do think that we are seeing the fact that these these high-end teams that are really talented and very deep, very good on defense, what really can set them apart is to have explosive downfield plays through the air. And I think that Trevor Lawrence gives Clemson the best chance they have at beating a team like Alabama. Um, I, I think without that element, I don't think Clemson beats Alabama. But with that element, I think they can hang. And that's a bit reductionist, but I think that we're, that's one of the things I've noticed most early on this season is just how important it is to be able to stretch defenses vertically to supplement the talent that you have at every position. If, uh, if Lawrence struggles in one of these upcoming games, do you think they'd make the switch back to Bryant, or do you think they're going to ride him out no matter what? That's an interesting question. I, I, looking at their schedule... Do they have any spots where they're going to be in tough? Because I, I think that Trevor Lawrence is is ready, and and he's going to I mean, make mistakes here and there, but basically in every single game. Yeah. yeah. Um, Syracuse, Wake Forest, NC State, Florida State, Louisville, Boston College, Duke, and South Carolina. So chances are, yeah, they'll be favored, touchdown or better, in every single game. Now, I mean, if 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 he would struggle, then you know, that would be a bit of a conundrum because you don't, I don't think ideally they want to be flip-flopping back and forth. Uh, so they kind of hitch their wagon, so to speak. But, you know, they're not a terrible team with Kelly Bryant at quarterback. So I think that they do still have that option, but obviously they hope that this is the move and they can, they can roll with it from here on out. Well, it's going to be exciting. That's for sure. Uh, let's get into week five. Let's make some picks. We have nowhere to go, but up. Let's start with BYU at Washington. Uh, Washington, except the this, this spread, 17.5 points. Matt, take us away. This line's a little weird, isn't it? Like, I mean, BYU's coming off a really big win against a team that's going to play pretty slow. 17.5 dogs to Washington? I mean, I, the, I, I was, when I started looking in this, like, Washington allows the 11th fewest yards per play and the 11th fewest points per play. BYU runs the 105th most game and it just looks like and I mean Washington but the difference I have in this and the reason why I'm actually going to take BYU and take the points on this one is because Washington runs the 104th most plays on offense and really haven't had a game this year where they've been scoring a lot of points so my question really comes down to how many points is Washington gonna score because if they don't score 28 it's going to be very very difficult for them to cover that number and this season 
they have not been scoring a lot of points. So it might seem like sort of simple analysis when you circle around to the point. But I mean, if neither one of these teams is going to play up tempo, I don't see this game getting into the 30s. Yeah. What about you, Jordan? Yeah, I think that's a great call. I think that this is probably going to be a low-scoring game. Like Matt said, Washington really hasn't shown very much explosive ability so far. Pace of play, like you mentioned. And I think that we saw when BYU played Wisconsin that they can kind of hang physically, you know, on the interior. And Washington's offensive line is a little bit banged up. Jake Browning is, you know, just disappointing a lot of the time. Um and, you know, being above 17 points, three-score game, I think it hangs probably around 14 points for the majority of the game. So I'll take BYU and the points. It's a sweep. I'm also going BYU. Gaskins has been awesome, but he's needed a lot of volume to do it, which speaks to your, Matt, your point about how they run so so few plays. I think they're going to win comfortably. I think they'll win 31-17, but, you know, not quite hit that 17 and a half point. So there you, there you have it, guys. We all picked BYU, so go put all your money on Washington, and you <laughs> will be good. Um, I'm going to move over to the SEC. Ole Miss at LSU, minus 13 and a half LSU. Um, what do you guys think? This is another one of those games where I just I don't know if LSU is going to be able to score enough points just to keep Ole Miss from keeping it within two touchdowns. Ole Miss is 12th in yards per play, but in a similar way to some of these other teams, they, uh, they're they actually 101st in total plays per game, but they're also 75th in points per play allowed. So they, I mean, as we kind of saw from Alabama and from the rest of them this season, their defense is really terrible. So I was torn on this game. I, I think I went back and forth. My initial thing I had written down was taking LSU, but once I kind of got into it more and more, I, I got to a point where I said, I can't see LSU scoring 28 points. So I'm going to take Ole Miss. I'm not going to feel great about it, but I'm going to take the points. Yeah, I hate to keep agreeing, but I think that the I think the spread is just a little bit too large here, um, especially if I don't know exactly which way um, the money is coming in. But if that number goes up to 14, that's even more attractive for Ole Miss. Uh, crossing through that key number but I think that Ole Miss you know for the struggles against Alabama that we witnessed they're three and one they've been really explosive on offense they still have probably the best group of wide receivers in the country LSU is stout on defense but I think that Ole Miss can do enough offensively to keep this within the number I would expect LSU to win but I think it stays within two scores if you look at how uh, Louisiana Tech was able to put points up on LSU. It was in the passing game. I mean, they threw the ball 50 times. They got over 330 yards, three touchdowns. I think Ole Miss is going to be able to use their receiving weapons to move the ball, to score points, and to keep it close enough where LSU wins but doesn't quite win by two touchdowns. I think they end up winning by about 10. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're going to continue on with all agreeing. Stanford, Notre Dame, we kind of teased this game earlier. Jordan, where do you see this one going? This one's tough because I think, you know, I don't want to overreact to one game, but I think that Notre Dame 
Notre Dame's offense is different now with Ian Book. And even if he comes down and plays, you know, 60, 70% of what we saw last week, I think that changes the dynamic here. You know, Stanford getting five and a half on the road. I really don't like this number at all. But I will, you know, I'm gonna lay the I'm gonna lay the points. I'm gonna take Notre Dame at home. Do not feel great about it, but if you know, I th- I think they can carry over the momentum they they picked up last week. And if Ian Book plays well again, I think Notre Dame's defense is is good enough to contain Stanford. So I'll lay the points begrudgingly. See, uh, this is the one where I, I kind of figured we'd eventually disagree, even though I was afraid Jordan was talking himself into Stanford right there. I just kind of like this is a different team than Wake Forest. Stanford isn't going to play a high tempo offense that's going to keep them uh, on the field and getting the if they're not getting first downs are going to be off the field really fast and having their defense constantly on the field. Um, This just feels like a game where Stanford tries to grind and keep it close. And I think talent wise they're they might actually be relatively close if Costello can play decent then I would say they have a chance to win outright. And just weirdly, because I happen to come across this, because we both all agree that Stanford relies too heavily on Bryce Love, but so far this year, they've actually passed more than they've run, which is weird. And um, Notre Dame has actually run the ball nearly 60% of the time. So just thought that was weird. I wonder if some of that is with Bryce Love's uh, injuries and being banged up a bit. I, I'm also taking Stanford in this one. I mean, if Oregon can't stop them, who can? So <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually, I'd pick Stanford to, to win this outright. I think they'll go in there uh, with a lot of motivation after this last win. I mean, the second half of that game against Oregon, they just took over. In, they were able to slow Oregon's offense down. And they had a couple lucky turnovers, but they still played tough. They were physical. I like them to be able to exploit some some matchups in the middle of the field with their massive tight ends and their big wide receivers. And I think Stanford ends up squeaking one out, winning it by three. Uh, let's go to my new favorite team. I don't know if you guys watched the college game day um, special on Saturday morning where they were talking about Will Greer, but I just kind of fell in love with the man. And so uh, he's my my Heisman pick forever, even if he never throws another touchdown. I, I like West Virginia to beat Texas Tech. I think they're going to roll handily. I don't think it's going to be all that close. But again, I thought that about TCU last week and was devastated. What do you guys think? We actually were discussing this game before the call. And it's sort of crazy because this is such a weird dichotomy of teams because Texas Tech runs the second most plays per game compared to West Virginia, who actually runs the ninth fewest plays per game. So it's going to be sort of an interesting battle of can West Virginia slow this game down enough to just keep this Texas Tech offense off the field. Can I ask you a quick question about that? Do you think that could be, one, because they they have fewer games played, West Virginia, and two, because they score so damn fast? Well, that was part of it, is they actually are 16th in points per play, third in yards per play, and despite the fact that they're, they run the ninth fewest, they score their 24th in points per game. What's crazy, and they, they do all that, and they're also first in a point in opposing points per play. So they're really a, they're going to be an interesting matchup here. If they can keep Texas Tech from scoring any, anywhere near the 30s, then I think that 
West Virginia takes this game handily. I'm still kind of torn on the number just because I like taking underdogs. But, I mean, even on the road, I probably would lean West Virginia. And I think that if they – if I'm right that West Virginia wins this game, I think they probably do it by double digits. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with West Virginia as well. I, I also don't like laying – I don't like laying points, especially on the road. But I think that West Virginia's defense is – more, you know, a, a good bit better on defense than Texas Tech. I think both have really good offenses. I think Alan Bowman, uh, Texas Tech's freshman quarterback, is good. And I think that being at home will help them. But I just think that West Virginia's offense with Will Greer, like you said, David Sills, I think it's just too much. Um, and I think that West Virginia's defense might be able to get some stops. And I, I don't know how often West Virginia will be stopped. So, I'll, you know, I'll lay, I'll lay the three and a half on the road. The only reason why I would want to take Texas Tech is because of Dakota Allen, Last Chance U. Um, love that show, love that guy, and uh, want nothing but the best for him. But I can't do it. I'm still going uh, West Virginia. All right, that's going to do it for our show. We'll see. You. I'm just kidding. Obviously, we've got the grudge match. We've got Ohio State at Penn State. You two boys duke it out, and whoever can convince me, because I don't know who to pick. It's at four points. It's it's not very much. I'm I'm not I'm on the fence. I need one of you to convince me. Oh man, this one this one hurts. This this is the kind of game that I would I would never ever in a million years put my actual hard earned dollars on this game, but. Penn State at home getting four. I honestly think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. I, I think that Ohio State probably has a slight edge in talent across the board. And I think that Dwayne Haskins is, you know, if it wasn't for Tua, Dwayne Haskins would be talked about as the best quarterback in the country, probably. And I think he that, is anyway. Well, of course you would say that. Um, I, I think the Bosa injury is important. You know, one guy doesn't make a defense, but he is so disruptive. I think him being out is substantial. You know, games in Happy Valley, I'm assuming this is an 8 o'clock game, correct? 7.30, 8 o'clock? Yeah, 7.30 game. And it's, of course, because you guys do it to us every year, it's the whiteout. Of course, yes. The the mythical, the, <laughs> the mythical thing that cannot be uh, put into numerical value. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can't not take Penn State especially getting points at home I, I don't feel great like I said I do not advise really anyone to bet this game necessarily because I think the number is pretty close I think these two teams are that close but I'll I'll take the team at home getting points Matt tell me why I should take Ohio State because I'm I'm sure you will so the sort of like interesting notes I came across were Penn State's running about 60% of their plays this season are running plays. And right now, that's where Ohio State's defense has been struggling. The difference maker in this is, for me is that Ohio State is 15th in plays run per game compared to Penn State's 62nd. It, I think it came out to it was about eight more plays per game. And Ohio State's offense is leading the country in completion percentage because, as I stated earlier, they have the best quarterback in the country. I, I agree Bosa being out is going to be a huge loss for them because he is the also I'm just going to keep going with hyperbole the best defensive player in the country and uh, I, the the thing that I think makes it up is that Draymond Jones is a, is a difference maker on that defensive line and Ohio State has a few young defensive linemen that I think could be make a big difference uh, in Chase Young and uh, I actually am interested to see if they uh, 
let Tyreek Smith play much of this game. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing. I still think Ohio State's defensive line gets enough pressure on Trace McSorley to make the game difficult. I kind of, if I were playing DFS, I, st- I wouldn't be afraid of playing Miles Sanders because, as I said, Ohio State lets up a decent amount to the run. I, I wouldn't bet this game with my hard-earned dollars in the same way Jordan wouldn't. My heart is on Ohio State. I think they've got the better quarterback. I don't like Trace McSorley. Um, and I think that they've got the better running backs. And I think they have, as a uh, cumulative, they have the better wide receivers. And they have Austin Mack, which obviously means they have the best wide receiver. <laughs> so, I, I was really hoping you'd bring up Mack. Austin so, Mack will get brought up every time. So basically, Ohio State has the best player in the country at every single position, all 22 across the board. Is that what, I'm, is that what I should take away? Let me, yeah. That, well, you're forgetting about out. Nuremberger. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, yep, kickers matter. Out. Kickers are people too. Um, no, I, I think my, I, I know I'm obviously super biased in this. I do think that quarterback is the difference in this game right. because in recent years, Penn State has kind of been able to key in on the run because they didn't have any fear about JT Barrett going over the top with a deep pass. And truthfully, when he did go for slightly longer, longer passes against them was when they made that fourth quarter comeback last year. I hate playing against the whiteout because it's the most insane fan like coordination in the country. But I'm, I'm going with my heart because I'm not going to lie about it. And I'm just going to say I'm taking the team that I think has the better offense. Yeah, and I I actually don't like either of these teams, to be honest, with both of you guys. Uh, Love you both, but don't love these teams, Um, as far as, like, allegiance fandom-wise. But I think both are very good teams. And just as a neutral bystander, I I agree with you, uh, Matt, when it comes to quarterback play. I think Haskins is one of the best in the country. And to me, I think this is going to be – I think this is going to be a really great close game. But I think Ohio State ends up winning it by a touchdown. And so if the if the points would be any more, I'd be a lot lot more hesitant, but I actually feel fairly comfortable with the four points and I think Ohio State will be able to overcome that on the road. I think it's going to be pretty close throughout the whole thing though. I don't think either team is going to get out to a big lead. I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think it's going to be, you know, 24-31 something like that. I think both teams will be able to score points. Um but yeah, that's that's how I see it going. So again, we will see what happens. It's kind of fun. We've got a couple where we're all on the same page and then a few where we're different. So we we can't do worse than last week. So it'll be fun to see how things shake out on Saturday. Do you guys have any plans for the weekend? I'm actually uh, I'm actually heading for a, a late summer beach weekend in Virginia. So um, hopefully, you know, hopefully the weather's nice down there and uh, try and get as much college football action in as possible on Saturday. Nice. And I'm going to be watching the Penn State-Ohio State game and hiding my phone so my uh, wife's family can't text me every time Penn State scores. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I've had a couple of crazy weekends between the hunting and then the puppy and all that. So this this weekend, I'm excited to uh, just kind of relax, hang out with the family and uh, get some good football watching in. But uh, yeah, that's it for us this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, don't forget, again, to subscribe and rate and review the show. Jordan, can you tell everyone where they can find you, please? Yeah, on Twitter at jhoover9787. And uh, you can find my writing on Redobiz. Matt? I'm at WispyTheKid on Twitter, and you can find my writing primarily in season on Rotoballer this season. Yeah, and I'm at StayFunLaCo on Twitter. And then, of course, follow the show at RotoViz CFB Show. 
follow us, interact with us. We love talking to you guys. And uh, yeah, give us some hell for all of our terrible picks this week that I'm sure will be coming. Uh, We'll be looking forward to chatting with you guys next week. Thank you very much. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.